Hey, this is Amanda Jane Stern from the feature film Perfectly Good Moment, and you're listening to the Horror Squad podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast. This is episode number 306, where tonight, we are going to be talking about American Psycho. I am here, of course, as always, with Todd and Steve. And welcome back to the show, Missy. Steve, we have an interview tonight as well. We do have an interview tonight. I sat down and talked to Amanda Jane Stern. She is the writer and star of a movie that is currently being toured in festivals called Perfectly Good Moment. It's not like super horror, but it's kind of like a Black Mirror episode. You know, it kind of uh, toes the line between horror, sci-fi and thriller, but absolutely wonderful discussion. Uh, Amanda is just a fantastic person to speak to and definitely a horror fan and a horror fan that likes uh, really old school stuff, you know, more like the black and white uh, Universal Monsters type stuff. So had a great discussion. Definitely stay to the end to check that out. And uh, whenever you can watch it, Perfectly Good Moment is definitely worth checking out. So, yeah. Excellent. Gentlemen and ladies, how was everyone's week? How was the Americans Thanksgiving? Steve, how was your Thursday? Yeah, Thursday was uh, Thursday. Yeah, I'm really busy right now, so nothing special on my end. But I am very curious about all your Thanksgivings, and I don't want any uh, skimming of the food details. So how about we go with Missy? Uh, Missy, how's your Thanksgiving? It was actually quieter than it usually is. It was just me and my parents. The kids were were at their dad's, and uh, it was nice and quiet. They came home later, just traditional turkey, stuffing, potatoes, you know, the pie and uh the canadian uh french meat stuffing meat, meat what, kind of, pie. what kind of pie are we talking let's not skip the pie details please chocolate cream pumpkin and custard yes. nice uh, yeah yeah that's it so that was that was it i'm still eating leftovers <laughs> i heard on the radio today is the last day you should be eating leftovers and it like oh goes bad or some shit like that so don't listen yeah, my Thanksgiving, similar to Missy's. We don't do turkey, though. We're not a turkey family. We do chicken. So we got two chicks from Costco. I mean, five bucks can't go wrong. Mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, stuffing, which is probably my favorite. Corn, green beans, and then like a brown sugar carrot, which is excellent. So yeah, it was a nice quiet time and hung out. I read a lot, so that was nice. So yeah, happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners. Yes. Yeah, mine was great. Went over to my sister's house. Whole family was there. Yeah, traditional Thanksgiving, turkey, all the fixings, you know, all the good stuff. Instead of brown sugar carrot, though, they do the yams with the marshmallows on top, which is quite delicious. Yeah, and then the pies, of course, apple, banana cream, pumpkin, all the goodies. Nothing really. Oh, well, we do do um, us being uh, half half Italian, so the Italian side of us does do pasta, and meatballs and whatnot as well, like as a secondary dish to the turkey and all that as well. So that's always delicious. I just imagine you guys like screaming at each other, Joey, get more spaghetti. You need to eat more. Yeah, usually, <laughs> usually screaming, but usually it's like, you know, family drama screaming at the end it, of the dude. night while someone's it. drinking. But um, <laughs> what uh, anyone get? I didn't, I slacked this year. No, like Black Friday or Cyber Monday horror deals. Anyone? Uh, I got, anything? 
thing. Whole whopping zero items, man, which is like the first time yeah. in, in years. I just, I, I don't know. I just didn't care. Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. I, I didn't buy oh, anything. Like, us. I, I added a bunch <laughs> of stuff to my Christmas list because people have been asking and, you know, I saw stuff, but that I didn't actually purchase anything this year. So I, mean, I don't find the deals were that good, to be honest. Like, they're not. They, they weren't like above and beyond deals that you get all year round, you know, like when things just happen to go on sale. So I don't know, maybe it's the the economy. I have no idea why they don't look good or maybe stores are just getting wise to it and you're slapping just Black Friday on it. The, you're just smarter now. <laughs> yeah, maybe that too, right? It's yeah. like you, you know, pricing more. So mm-hmm. no, I agree. Like it's not ex- as exciting anymore. Like I feel like the deals aren't as great and whatnot, like Steve said. So yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I've also slowed down considerably on collecting my stuff. I mean, I still have two band boxes I haven't even opened. So I'm excited though, Steve. I'll get to them eventually, everyone. I know and, I did promise videos. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know. Well, for those who follow us on YouTube, uh, not only do I post all the videos of the episodes with like graphics that of each film that we talk about, but I also been unboxing the band boxes as we lead up to the last one. And this last box that I actually released today the October 2023 box, it had the worst item I've ever received in a mystery box. And I've been unboxing since like 2014. Like it is, wow. It's it's really, I cannot believe they put that in a box. It's Is that live right now, Steve? It is. Yeah, I put it like today at 3 p.m. I don't so. know why I didn't get the alert for that. That's weird. Yeah, it's, 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 it's worth watching just to see that item. Now, I will say the rest of the box, very solid. But that one item, holy shit. I couldn't even believe they put that in the box. So don't spoil it for me, Todd. I want to be fresh when I open that <laughs> box. So <All> right. <laughs> message message Steve <laughs> privately after you watch his video. Yeah. One thing before we get into what watched, I did want to talk about this. I couldn't save it for next week's news segment because it is such a huge news story right now. And that is the firing of actress of actress Melissa Barrera who most famously of course played Sam Carpenter in the new Scream series you know in 5 and 6 was Billy Loomis's daughter massive character one of the core four she was of course fired for some remarks she made regarding the Israel Gaza conflict and then immediately after that firing we find out that Jenna Ortega is also leaving the Scream franchise, supposedly for not that re- not because Melissa Barrera was fired, fired, but because she already was planning on leaving due to scheduling conflicts. Believe that, if you will or not, we can discuss that. But yeah, I mean, that is two of the core four that we came to meet in these last two movies, gone out of the franchise. So where do we go from here? You know, there's a lot of theories being toted out there. The biggest one I heard is Nev and Patrick Dempsey are going to come back. Of course, they got married off screen that we we found out, I think, in the last movie. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Round table. What do you guys think? What are your thoughts? I, I, you know, let, let's refrain from politics. But, you know, I think Steve worded it well in the chat. Like, you're free to say whatever you want, but not free from the repercussions, right? So it's like do your job, do acting. Like I'm not a political activist. I don't know half the shit that the real truth is. You know what I mean? So I'm not educated enough to do my opinion. The problem is I'm not a public figure like she is. So you gotta, you know, 
that comes with that territory. But as far as Scream goes, like, and I'm not taking any sides, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Like, it's terrible. You know, war and death is not good ever, right? As far as Scream goes, man, like, my opinion isn't new. I, I think the new ones are pretty bad. I think the last one was a little bit of an upgrade, you know? But I've always hated Samantha being a daughter of Billy. It makes no sense in the timeline to me. So I think what you need to do is just cut your losses, man. Wait a few years, hard reboot, bring back Dewey, bring back all the original cast, send them off correctly, and then just do away with this. Because I know people like Jenna Ortega, and I don't think she's needed for the series either because she's she's a good actress and she's pretty and all that stuff. But is she like a groundbreaking scream heroine? In my opinion, no. That belongs to Sydney and, and Gail, right? So those are my opinions. I think you hard reset, just fucking move on because... The last ones are just not good. Interesting. Hard mm-hmm. reboot. Yeah, I wasn't I, expecting that one. Oh, oh, well, one second. And I saw the, the item in that box and I don't know what, what they were <laughs> thinking. That is so awful. I know. Yeah. So I agree with some of what Todd said there. Like you said, you know, what you say publicly online, you know, you could freedom of speech, but not freedom of repercussions. But on the flip side, by firing her over that, you know, the people who, produce scream are also going to face the repercussions for you know doing that so both sides are kind of doing their own thing and i honestly don't see how they get nev campbell or courtney cox to to go into a scream 7 at this point because by signing on to scream 7 they now almost like side with the producers of scream 7 even though that might not be their intention that's the perception that people are going to have so I honestly think that, like Todd said, they should completely just can Scream 7 for now. And if ever they want to bring it back, I don't agree with Todd. I don't think they should bring people back. I think they should do a contained stories with Ghostface. Uh, kind of like what, not exactly like that, but like Prey, where they took the Predator franchise and did something fresh with it. Obviously, I'm not saying they should go back in time and do Ghostface, but maybe like somewhere in Europe, they're... You know, they they saw Ghostface, the rumors of it, and it's becoming like a popular myth. And then someone decides that he wants to start killing as Ghostface. And, you know, you could have contained stories of that character in that world. It's just without the original cast. So once, once again, I, once again, you need to be in the writer's room because I love that idea. And the, the two things that I loved about the last one were, I mean, besides the subway scene, that doesn't really count. But Richie's family, whatever they're called, the museum that they had i thought that was so damn cool mm, yeah and i can easily see like steve mentioned like a copycat or even like he said it'd be cool too like if it's down the line and they're like hey remember the woodsboro murders and stuff like that and then someone takes up the mantle i think that's a really neat idea and a really like easy pull off the demand and start new that's a really good idea steve yeah i agree i think at this point there's been so many instances of these these figures, celebrities getting fired over things that they post on social media. I don't understand why they don't realize that they need to keep their opinions off the social media. So yeah, I I, I mean, it's sad for the Scream franchise. I've never really been a huge Scream um, franchise fan. Of course, the first one is amazing. But as they got through, you know, to to like this four, five, six, I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've watched them once, but that's about it. So I really don't have too much of a opinion on what you know you should do next i i i think i i would agree with todd and just start with start fresh with new people you know I, i'm i would be game for that versus just the same cast over and over and over so i think they'll do they'll do fine if they did that 
Yeah, I mean, I went, me and Steve debated about this on the Discord, um, so you can get like our full, I guess, opinions on it there. I think, uh, I think they, yeah, I kind of agree. I, I don't see any way this movie succeeds after everything that's happened, but I think the studio is going to push a Scream 7, right? Like, it's just such a moneymaker right now. So they're going to find some way to make this seventh movie try to close out this trilogy they had planned and reboot from there. Whether it's going to be a good idea, probably not, right? Like what happens here? The core four is now is no more. What do you do? Do you consider, do you continue with just Jasmine Savoy Brown? Like now you're sort of lead girl and you somehow kill off Sam and uh, Jenna off screen or something. It, I, I don't know if I'm the director, I am out of here. Like, you know, I know he signed on to do this last movie, but see you later, right? Like it happens all the time. Creative differences. I'm I'm gone. He actually would be an interesting though for a reboot. Like, you know, I say what you will about Happy Death Day, but there were some like fun ideas there. And I really did like Freaky. So I think with the Scream franchise, I think that comedy aspect he uses would work really well in this universe. So I would rather see him in a reboot, in a hard reboot, rather than unfortunately having to deal with the mess that is going to be Scream 7. I don't know. They're going to throw a lot of money at Nev, obviously, to come back. And I think she might, right? Like, I don't care. I don't know if she really cares about siding with the studio. All she seemed to care about was getting paid the last movie and a fair amount. And I think she would come back for the fans to try to save this franchise if they throw enough money at her. And they have a lot of money to throw at her now, right? With two of their big actresses gone. So I think most likely we will see Scream 7 with Nev, my opinion. So we'll see. But uh, yeah. All righty, folks. Let's get into what watched for this week. I'll start us off this week. I only have one. And my one movie is a movie Steve talked about last week, I believe it was. And that is It Lives Inside. You know, he didn't give it the best review, but I was still very excited to see it just based on the trailer. And it just looked like my type of movie. This movie is basically about a girl. Uh, The whole movie is kind of set in this Indian culture. And this one Indian girl releases this curse that's basically sort of transferred over to this other girl. And she has to sort of figure out how to defeat this sort of entity and that's basically the the basic plot of it yeah overall i was i was quite disappointed um with this one it just to me it was generic i i think is the best word that that comes to mind Uh, you know i've seen other movies do it better than this one i will say like bringing in sort of a different culture into it made it more interesting than if it was just based on just like your everyday sort of like other type of horror movie like so i think the you know bringing in the culture references and stuff elevated it for me a little bit it added some new sort of flavor and interest but other than that at the end of the day it's still generic and they i think they just kind of incorporated that to try to make it more interesting but at the end of the day to me it just it ended up just dull so maybe a one-time watch at best but honestly if you don't watch it you're not going to miss anything either I gave it a two and a half out of five. So basically exactly what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's unfortunate because I, I did feel like there was a potential there, but yeah, no, there, I mean, there's definitely, there was definitely a lot of potential there, but I just feel like 
it comes down to the writing, right? And the script, I, I feel like it was just one of those scripts they just pull out, you know, out of the attic and they're like, yeah, let's make this movie, you know, and oh, we'll incorporate some new sort of things to try to make it a little fresh. And it just, it just didn't work, unfortunately. So, yeah. All right. I have two tonight. So I'll start with the book, which you'll hear about shortly uh, with our American Psycho coverage. But yeah, I read the novel American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. And yeah, I don't want to go too much into it because we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the review, but I absolutely loved it. It's a five out of five, in my opinion. It went into my top 10 of horror books of all time. The The character Patrick Bateman is so layered in this, and we'll talk about it with the movie, but my gosh, there's so much going on in this. I do understand that, what, that people can have issues with it. Like, he spends a lot of time talking about every, every character that comes into a room. He goes from head to toe what they're wearing, just so he can compare to himself, like, oh, I have better shoes on, or I have more expensive slacks, or whatever it is. He just he goes into in depth about food too, how much everything costs, because he wants us to know that he's so fucking powerful. I can afford this six hundred dollar meal. No, oh, that's cheaper than I thought. Blah blah blah. Graphic, graphic sex, even when it's not violent, even when it's just normal sex, extremely graphic. And then the kills. I was, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot to disturb me now, and these kills were disturbing. He's uh torturing animals, which is it sucks, and, but you know, he doesn't just murder people; he tortures them too, and he. His goal is to inflict as much pain as possible because he likes seeing it and he likes telling them what he's going to do. And there's no mercy. He's nailing fingers to boards. He's sexually mutilating people. He's using animals to kill women, things like that. It's just fucking awful and it's gross. But gosh damn, the layers in this movie or in this book are, are excellent. So it's American Psycho, five out of five by Brett Easton Ellis. Um, my first one is Birth Rebirth. It's a 2023 movie that's currently playing on Shudder. This is about a nurse whose daughter tragically dies of meningitis and her body goes missing from the morgue. So she ends up tracking it down and finding out that it's basically the the doctor, the the forensic pathologist that that stole the body because she's working on trying to make, you know, the make people undead, basically make the undead. So it, it had a really great premise. It it really intrigued me, which is why I watched it. And it was, you know, the the reason that she has the the way that she she's keeping the this child alive is through like fetus fetuses you know and they so she has to get that in order to feed that to the the child it's it just seemed like a really different premise to the movie the acting was fantastic but nothing happened it ended up just falling flat like i nothing ever happened like the the daughter the daughter woke up she spoke she didn't really do anything there was no nothing scary in this movie so i just I just felt like they could have done so much with it. I just thought it was a different take on 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 this type of genre. And um, like I said, it, nothing ever happened. So I just felt felt like it was a wasted, a wasted uh, two hours for me. Basically, the only thing that saved it a little bit was the acting. I said the acting was very good throughout the whole movie, and um, but that didn't that didn't make it worth worth a watch in my opinion. So I give it a two point five. I agree. It's uh, not not a lot happens in that movie. You know? It's like it ends and you're like, huh, well, that was yeah. What was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. My first one is a movie I watched over on Shutter. It's a 2023 film by the name of The Puppet Man. 
So this is directed by Brendan Christensen, who we did have an interview for on the podcast. I believe it was for the episode where we covered Z, which is another movie he directed. He also did Superhost, which I was higher on than uh, some of his other films. So The Puppet Man is about a little girl and her dad kills her mom right in front of her. But she notices that there's a little bit of hesitation in her dad as if some entity is making him kill her mom. So that's what happens, but he does end up killing her. Story takes place like 20 years later. He's now on death row. He's about to be executed. And she's trying to coming to terms with the fact that this happened. But some weird stuff starts happening around her where she seems to get possessed herself and is able to control people to get them, them killed. So force either suicide on them or other means of kind of control where it's getting people killed. So she starts to think like, wait a minute, if I'm going through this, was my dad also possessed and he was actually innocent of murdering his mom? So that's kind of what the movie's about is her trying to figure out, did her dad actually kill her mom? What's his involvement in this whole thing and how she can stop herself from killing all of her friends and all the people around her as this entity starts taking over her life? Really cool premise. I I really thought there could be a lot done with this story. I was especially kind of looking forward to seeing her kind of reconciling with her dad and them trying to figure out kind of what's going on before he gets executed. But the movie goes in a really weird way. Uh, The dad's involvement is not at all what I expected. It's kind of odd and doesn't really play all that well. And although some of the kills are pretty brutal, there weren't enough of them, and a lot of them were kind of off screen. So it was a little disappointing. Overall, it's like maybe watch it, but it's not one I would go out of my way to recommend or anything. Definitely not one I think I'd watch again. I think uh, Brendan Christensen did better work with uh, Z, uh, Stillbirth, and Superhost. So this is not one of his better films. So that's The Puppet Man over on Shudder. I gave it two and a half stars out of five. Alrighty, my last one is a 2019 film that I've been waiting to watch for a while. It dropped on Hulu, which I was excited for, and that's Swallow. Basically, it's about a young housewife named Hunter who is with kind of like a Patrick Bateman type, right? His family are all rich and fucking, like his dad owns the company and they're like congratulating his son like, oh, he's the youngest director of operations. I wonder fucking why, dad. But like no one pays Hunter any mind, right? She She tries to speak speak up that she wants more attention ignored they're at dinner the dad asks her a question he gets bored with her answer and just cuts her off and goes to something else so she has no outlet no friends um, she's from like a more poor upbringing so she kind of quote-unquote won with this uh trophy husband and the mom lets her know that like oh you really came up you know getting with my son blah 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 where'd you work at oh you worked in retail oh that's laughable things like that so she gets this condition, which I forget what the technical term is, but where she just has this urge to follow, uh, swallow foreign objects, you know, marbles, tacks, all the way up to nails that she has to have surgery to get removed. Uh, instead of getting her help, they, well, they get her mental help, but it's, it's bullshit. Like the, the shrink is working directly for the, the, the family. They tell her all of the secrets that she tells her. So it's not really real help. Right. So I feel bad for Hunter. Like she's constantly controlled. She has a dark past when she was younger and the way she was conceived, things like that. So she has everything against her and she has no help at home. So that's Swallow. I gave it a four out of five because I really liked the acting. I really liked where it went. And it was just, it was sad. And it was supported by this girl, which is her name, Haley Bennett's performance as Hunter. So uh, over on Hulu. 
All right. I watched a movie over on Prime from 2020 called Unhinged with Russell Crowe. This was uh, this was a great movie. It is real life horror in in my opinion. This was very scary because I feel like this is what happens out every single day. There's definitely this going on. I mean, a Russell Crowe plays a this crazy guy that's in traffic. He gets he gets the horn honked at him by this young single mother going having a horrible day and she's she's late so she's trying to go somewhere she honks the horn at him and it just ends up pushing him over the edge and he just creates her a living hell for her he he finds her family members he steals her phone so he goes in their contacts finds out where she's going to be where her family members are and just stalks them all and you know just you know murders her her friends and family basically trying to get to her and it it happens through the course of the day and she's just trying to get away from him and try to outsmart him and he just he, he had a great performance in this i hadn't seen him in a while before this movie he kind of dropped out of sight for a while but he delivered a fantastic performance he was so frightening and it really makes me think twice that in traffic i will not honk a horn at anybody ever again in my life after watching this movie and it was very entertaining it was action-packed and i i definitely think it's worth a, your time to watch so i give it four four out of five nice my last one this week is another 2023 film. I watched this one on Paramount Plus. It's a movie called Unseen. So this is a story of a girl. She gets kidnapped by her ex-boyfriend or husband because he's getting jealous and she he feels that she did him wrong and he kind of wants control of her. So he brings her to a cabin uh, tied up and has nefarious things that he wants to do to her. But she manages to escape with her hands still still bound. And during the escape... She breaks her glasses, and as she's running away into the woods, she can't see pretty much anything because she doesn't have her glasses anymore. She does manage to dial 911, but they, they like, lose contact with them, and because she doesn't have, like, locations turned on her phone because she's afraid her husband and her ex-boyfriend is able to track her, they, they don't know how to find her without using, like, cell towers, but cell towers take an hour, so it's not happening anytime soon. She does eventually lose the call and isn't able, because her phone is busted, to dial 911 again. She can't see the numbers and stuff. So what she does is she goes into recent calls and just kind of picks one at random, which hits a number that actually was a wrong number that someone had called her. And it's a girl that she's like in a kind of like convenience store. And she's super socially awkward and she doesn't want to deal with this. And she's like, can you please be my eyes? as I try to get away in this forest. So she asks her to FaceTime her, which she reluctantly does. And the story kind of plays out where this girl is being chased by her by her ex in the woods. She's using the phone and this random person that's in a totally different state as like her eyes, you know, using the phone's uh, video service. And meanwhile, the girl that's, you know, at the store is also facing some situations on her side. So it's kind of these two trying to help each other out with their situations and trying to get away. It's an interesting premise. It's basically a two-location premise. You know, half the story takes place at the store. The other half takes place in the woods. 
And it's mostly these two characters, except there are a few characters that come into the store from time to time. It does get kind of ridiculous, if you ask me. There's uh, one particular customer that comes into the store and she's like a total whack job and she tries to make her do things that are really odd and I don't know. There's, it's a weird movie, to be honest with you. It's one that's never boring. It's got high energy. Like, I was always interested to see what would happen next. But it's also one that doesn't have anything super interesting that happens. It's, uh, I don't know. It's I guess I expected more out of it. The majority of the people that I follow on Letterboxd had it scored, like, you know, three and a half, four, four and a half out of five. So I expected better, I guess. I gave it a three out of five. Maybe worth watching if you think the premise is cool, but don't go in with too high of expectations. So that's Unseen, which I watched on Paramount+. Plus. That's too bad because it sounded really cool when you were describing it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. the premise is cool, but it just doesn't work mm. out well. I don't know. There's a lot of plot holes and it's just one of those things. Yeah. Let's get into trivia, Todd. What are our scores currently? All right. And a commanding, commanding fourth quarter lead. Steve, 15, myself. I'm sorry, Joe, second place, 12, myself, third place, 10, fourth place, Missy, zero. What's wrong? Get it together, Missy. I don't know what's going on over there, but goose egg. Let's go. Who's going on? Who's leading off today? Oh, sure. I'll start. All right. In Get Out, what is the name of the place where the consciousness... Sunken place. There you go. Woo. <laughs> get out question. Out, baby. What were you thinking? <laughs> That's right. It's <laughs> made for Joe. Collusion. Uh, all right. Uh, you guys want me answering if I know the question? I don't. Yeah, want yeah, to, like, absolutely. Yeah, you're here as a you're here as a block for us. Yeah. Spoiler. Oh, um, okay. Okay, I'll go next. All Stephen King themed trivia this week. These were my silver bullet questions that never made it in, but they're not silver bullet related. I will say that just Stephen King themed. So, question one: What type of car? Is Christine a Plymouth? Yeah, Fury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he is a Plymouth. I was looking for I'll, a Plymouth Fury. I'll, I'll, I'll give but... it to Todd. I'll give yeah. it. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you. I would remember the Plymouth part. Bonus, so. if you can. Bonus point, if you can guess the year. Nineteen fifty. Incorrect. Oh, sixty-five. Uh, <laughs> Incorrect. Wait, wait, wait. It's in my massive tree, but, trivia yeah, book. Too late. Oh, get <laughs> out of here! <laughs> what did you? What did you say, Missy? 57. Ah, oh, one off. 1958. Right? Ah, okay. Fuck. All right. I shall go. This is from the homie, Brent. It's a tagline. We all love him. Oh, God. Just when you thought it was safe to be dead. Oh. Or you thought it was going to say, go back in the water. <laughs> I did. I did. So Just I would assume this came back. Uh, Day of the Dead. Incorrect. Just when you thought it was safe to be dead. Interesting. Yes. Going once. I got one more. If I have another, okay. if I get, I'm allowed another. If, if Steve and Missy pass, I will. Yeah. Out. Oh, I'm gonna go. My boyfriend's back. <laughs> no, that's a fun. One. Uh, <laughs> I don't even say that fucking title because I'll start singing it for three months. <laughs> can we? Can we like? Just announce. I want to do it for Valentine's Day this year, or at least like have it as a vote. Yeah, I would yeah, love to. Sure. Oh, let's do it. That. Let's just do it. <laughs> if we can even find it, like I feel like that movie's probably not easily. Not like, yeah, is pretty, it? Okay, it's good. Uh, or something. Excellent. Uh, my guess, other guess would be Return of the Living Dead. Incorrect. The correct answer is Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Oh, <laughs> nice. Son of a bitch. Hey, All right, you got to be stingy this time. Guess the movie. 
based off the IMDb parental guide. Mm. Sex and nudity. Ah, uh, yes. Real sex between actors. And a woman holds scissors to her vulva, then oh. to her clitoris, both which are clearly depicted. Would this be... Um... Oh, actually, I'll, keep, I'll wait. I'll wait. I have a guess, though. But I don't know if you would pick this one because it's not. It's kind of a niche. Hmm. Well, we are a niche horror <laughs> podcast. So. Uh, violence and gore. A woman smashes her husband's fully naked groin with a heavy piece of wood, and he falls unconscious. Yes, and... um, anti- Antichrist. Correct. Then she masturbates with his penis, and blood is ejaculated. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> Great movie. Oh, it's good Will, movie. Willem Wild. Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, yes. Was that the one where they had to make him wear a fake dong because his dong was too big? No, that was Nymphomaniac, I think. No, Nymphomaniac? Or was it the Jesus one he did? It's one of the two. He's he's packing heat. <laughs> Antichrist is a good one. I forget the director, but he also did a couple it's, um, other It's Lars Vontier. Yeah, Lars Vontier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weirdo. Oh, yeah. He did the House of Jack Bill, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Back to Missy. Yep. All right. What is the name of the clairvoyant woman in Poltergeist? Uh, oh, Tangina. Yes. Gosh, oh. Thank you. Three tonight. Thank you. Damn. Thank you. With Thank that, you, he's tied. Yes, me and Missy work together on <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, I Thank see you. that. <laughs> That's, uh... yep. Okay. Guess the movie based on the IMDb information. This movie was released in 1990. It has uh, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. It. Oh. The miniseries. Correct. Oh, Steve, damn it. <laughs> uh, that, that's the autograph I have on my It poster. <laughs> Very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now I won't give you more information. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the name of the main spirit and Deadstream. Jesus. Uh, oh, Jesus, incorrect. The, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Bastaba? Uh, oh, I, I thought you had, I thought you were saying the first, never mind, I'm not even going to give you a hint. I thought you were going to say it. Bezel, Bezelbub. No, no, incorrect. Everyone said something wrong. Any other guesses? No, I only start mm. once. Remember? The correct answer is Mildred. Mildred. Oh, Mildred. I thought we were close with the B. So. Me too. Oh, I That's thought you said, mm, and you didn't say <laughs> no, no. All right. Guess the movie based off the Did You Know section of IMDb. Did you know? So okay. I have two, two trivias because there was one missing. So I think uh, soundtrack was missing. So Trivia number one. This movie, while not directly associated with Sam Raimi's Evil Dead series, seems to borrow heavily from the series. Both main characters sever a body part. Both summon spirits using an incantation. Both leads get covered in miscellaneous bodily fluids. And both in hell? Wrong. Both employ slapstick comedy. Demon Knight? Wrong. It's not Demon Knight? Nope. Fuck. Next, next uh, trivia? All right, Missy can steal. Joe and I cannot yes. speak. Chrissy's button on her jean jacket says dead inside, hinting at her being a supernatural entity. Chrissy, what's her name? Chrissy. Quotes. 
let's demonetize this bitch. <laughs> and finally, goofs. Sean states that the house has been unoccupied and boarded up since the 1950s, oh. yet the doorknobs and several of the furnishings, especially the bathroom toilet, are clearly from the modern age and not from 70 years ago. I got one in the chamber. Do you have one, Missy, before they go again? No. I'm... No, not at all. Go ahead. Hell, Hell House, LLC? Good guess, but no. Dang it. The House of the Devil. Wrong. Todd... You should have had this because oh, you that... just talked about it on the previous oh, trivia. Uh, Deadstream? Deadstream. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when you gee. had a Deadstream, I'm like, fuck, my next one's Deadstream. Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> That's funny. Damn you, Todd. Damn it. I keep getting shit on today all day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, who's up? Missy. Is it back last, to me? Okay. Last one. Last round. What is the last name of the family in the original Conjuring? Oh. The oh. Lamberts? Nope. That's Insidious. All right. Uh, where's my daughter? Oh, yeah, right. Dal- I'm thinking Dalton. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out Dalton's last name. It's, uh, it's fucking Lambert. Insidious. Um, oh, I'll, I'll guess like, after again. Yeah, I, I don't have anything. Yeah, go for it. Is it Perron? Yeah, Perron. Yeah. I'll give it, yeah. Okay. No, 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 you no. Know, that is, <laughs> no, I'm no, saying no, no. it the correct way. You're saying <laughs> the French translation, therefore, <laughs> it is the judges, same, which is me. No, you don't get it. <laughs> if I give All you right. Plymouth, you're getting, giving me fucking <laughs> fine. But if I would have said Plymouth, you would have been like, no. <laughs> the Thanksgiving Day parade from Plymouth was on TV on Thanksgiving. I was waiting for someone to pop out. And- uh, have their head cut off, but it didn't happen, unfortunately. No killer clown. <laughs> no. Right, is it back to me? Yep. Okay. Base the movie based on the three letterboxed reviews. Okay. Number one. I hate children. <laughs> Number two. Great commercial for birth control. Babadook. No. No, that's a good oh, fucking good answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. that, little, that little shit is so annoying in that movie. And number three. Legend has it that little Joey's body Children is still the rotting in that trunk. Yes, correct. I, mean, I was just thinking, he has a Stephen King theme. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I totally forgot about his theme. Yeah. Uh, All right, totter. Oh, oh well, okay. Who is the owner of the Abaddon Hotel and the Hell House LLC? franchise mm. they said it in the last one but i don't remember this is from the homie tj mm. you're looking for the family name uh just thought yeah i guess i don't know I, i've only seen the movie once i didn't even know this answer okay I just literally watched the new one i feel like they mentioned it but uh, it's the yeah, uh let's, oh, wait let's it's the uh We'll take a first. I'll take a last. Uh, I'll take a Carmichael family. No, not according to this. Any no, other guesses? That was the manor. Um, no, yeah, I no, but I thought maybe they own both because yeah. they, do, they do mention the hotel in it, right? Right. The owner is Mr. Andrew Tully. Mm, I would not. I never would have got that. No. <laughs> All right. Final question for the night: Guess the movie based off the letterbox reviews mm. and plot twist. Uh oh. These are our reviews. Love it. Uh, Missy, I always, you need to I get always one. love. I always love this. 
So I won't say who it comes from, but usually you guys can print yes it just off the style of the review. <laughs> All right, first one. This was way better than I was anticipating. The movie is surprisingly layered, albeit a bit thinly, and the message becomes a bit jumbled by the end. But it helped to keep the story interesting and not just a jump scare fest with no substance. The jump scares also were effective for the most part here, and I definitely jumped twice, which is a rarity as most I see a mile coming away. That's, that's I, a Joe. <laughs> I definitely can see this becoming a franchise, and I'd be down to see more because they can do some pretty cool stuff with this idea. Smile. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Why did I say that? My else is smile. <laughs> Damn, fucking Joe and Steve unstoppable. <laughs> that's it. That's it? That's it. All right, Joe and Steve with the big night. Joe four, Steve three, myself one, which brings us to Steve in the lead now with 18, Joe 16, myself 11. <laughs> oh, oh, the mighty had fallen. I'm like Tom Brady. I should have retired. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, right. Todd. It's okay. All right. Let's, let's get into it. Let's do our main event of the evening. 2000s American psycho directed by mary heron starring christian bale josh lucas chloe seven jenny savine savine reese witherspoon and of course cult leader jared leto uh, <laughs> todd Take us away. Give us a synopsis. Oh, boy. That's funny. I'm going to give you two synopsises here because the book and the movie, uh, Joe and I both read the book, Joe, a little bit longer ago. Hopefully he remembers. But from the book, Patrick Bateman is a 26 and works on Wall Street. He is handsome, sophisticated, charming, and intelligent. He is also a psychopath. American Psycho is a bleak, a bleak, bitter, black comedy about a world we all recognize but do not wish to face and takes us on a head-on collision with America's greatest dream and its worst nightmare. From writer Brett Easton Ellis, now for the movie. Patrick Bateman is a Wall Street yuppie, obsessed with success, status, and style, with a stunning fiancé, played by Reese Witherspoon. He is also a psychotic killer who rapes, murders, and dismembers both strangers and acquaintances, or does he, without provocation or purpose. Based on the, uh, based on the novel, so we'll skip it there. So, we are introduced to Patrick Bateman, a.k.a. Christian Bell, and exactly how it's described. He is a high-powered Wall Street guy. He's obsessed with the, the way his body looks. He's obsessed with his image. All he cares about is what he's where he's going to be eating, who he's going to be eating with, who he socializes with, and his um, fellow circle of dudes that look exactly the same in nice uh, designer suits and everything. But the issue with Patrick is, is that he has these homicidal thoughts where things that trigger him throughout the film uh, we'll put him on a spiral to violence, right? So I have a lot, I've, I've like two main theories with this book, uh, with this movie that I think I'll dive into later. But right off the bat, Christian Bell's performance is fucking phenomenal. He's an amazing actor in this one. I, man, I, I, I struggle to think of a film that he's better in than this one. His character, Patrick Bateman, is awesome. The way he can just sweat on command is fucking insane to me. Like, it's so cool. But the kills are pretty cool. I really like the style that they chose for, for New York City. And overall, I love this film. But I have a lot to unpack, and I'm eager to see what you guys think about it. Yeah. Man, I I read this book in high school. 
I think not too long after the movie came out, that is why I wanted to read it because like I saw the movie, really dug it. And yeah, I think it was maybe sophomore or junior year of high school. I, I picked up the book and read it. So I've always had a, a sort of love for this uh, movie and the book. And yeah, I mean, it's I, I love this movie. It's just an amazing performance by Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman. The movie incredibly layered you know we just i just said that for smile if you heard of steve so there we go again another very layered movie but yeah i mean it, there's just so much the aesthetic of this movie is great i mean great performances all around it's just such a unique movie there's not a lot of movies like this out there even to this day yeah uh, i there's like i so much i want to say but i know there's like so much to get into so yeah take it away someone I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, again, I'll mirror them and it's amazing performances by everybody. Some great actors and actresses that really weren't well known back in the day. And now, you know, to see them in there and see their get their start, it's, it's their great performances. It's, it's just really scary because he, he holds it together in front of people and then it, it he's he looks so put together he acts so put together and then behind the scenes this is going on and people trust him he's high society so they don't they look at him you know that with no fear when they go back to his his apartment and it's it's frightening to see the other side of somebody like this that they can turn it on and off so easily but yeah i mean i have a few theories as well wonder if they're similar to todd's but um it's just a great movie, a great movie all around. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is a really fun movie to watch. So I worked in the corporate world for 20 years, and this is what people in the corporate world are like. Uh, obviously, a toned-down version of this, but it's it just reminds me so much of those days and what, like, salespeople were like and executives were like. And it's just, it's funny to watch kind of play out in this way because this is, like, an extreme version of that. Christian Bale... I agree, definitely his best performance. Uh, this is the first movie I'd seen that he was in. Uh, and I remember it, it came out while I was in film school. And I was just so blown away by this movie and how smart it was. And uh, just the little nuances that I really enjoyed watching. I remember my teacher, um, uh, we did like a, we watched it in class and we had like a book, a, a movie discussion on it. And he was pointing out some of the nuances and the little things in the movie that just, is what makes this so brilliant. I do have a feeling just based off what I know that I'm probably going to be the lowest on it though. Now I still think it's a really good movie, but I feel that they play their best cards in the first half. And I, I have a little bit more trouble in the second half. Uh, there are some good things in the second half, so it's not like all bad or anything, but I feel like my favorite parts are all within the first 45 minutes. And I'll, de I'll definitely discuss you know, kind of the where it switches over for me and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. So how about we get into some specifics of this movie? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like there's just so many, like even watching it this time, there's just so many like memorable and iconic scenes to me that like I still remember to this day, but none far more iconic, of course, than the raincoat, Jared, Paul Allen, kill i mean people cosplay it to this day at horror cons you see people with the act and the raincoat and whatnot i mean it's just done so 
perfectly. Like it's so dark. I mean, this movie is a dark comedy in a lot of ways. Like there's just so much, so many scenes that, that you laugh at because of how fucked up he, he truly is. And I mean, this scene really displays it perfectly. Just him, you know, talking about Huey Lewis in the news. So intellectually like and just kind of going over everything and then he fucking moonwalks out of the room and just like kind of dancing around like a like an idiot and then just fucking snaps two seconds later and just brutally butchers paul allen it's just man it's such a great scene yeah there's a ton of scenes like that and we'll, we'll, i guess we'll save is it real or not towards the end of the uh, coverage of this but I think Missy mentioned that it's very frightening to see how Christian, aka Patrick, can turn it on and off. Because there's some subtle shit that you'll miss if you're not paying attention. For example, when he's exiting the dry cleaners, like he he's smiling, and then just a split second, he drops it, and he's back to his true self, which is just a blank person, which he describes, you know, in the in the in the book in the in the movie. One thing that I thought was really cool, though, and, and the thing that for Patrick is he just desperately wants to fit in right he tells his girlfriend evelyn that he just wants to fit in in the book his dad's a ceo of some company he owns it or something but he wants to work just because he wants to be like yeah i have a job too like i'm one of you guys you know what i mean i'm not like a spoiled rich boy blah blah blah. so he wants to fit in so like drastically that when he's at dinner or no sorry when he's at lunch with william defoe's character william defoe puts salt on his steak or on his food and if you watch Patrick, he does it too, but he never takes his eyes off William Defoe, and he pours a fucking shit ton of amount on there and then drops it just to fit in because he thinks like mirroring this man in front of me, I have to do exactly what he does, which is the entire film. He regurgitates everything. He reads Time Magazine, New York Times, whatever it is, watches daily talk shows, and everything he has or everything he communicates is just stuff regurgitated to him that he spawns off in the world just to seem like he's smart and fitting in he's like yeah i'm upper class too i belong here especially when he's talking to like the artist crew he's he just spouts everyone everyone knows this person too where they'll just spout like hot topic items or hot topic words especially in like interviews like ah we have to have we have to promote synergy like what the fuck does that mean but but like he is promoting everything that he hears and it's just it's it's a brilliant script and i fucking love it I think he has to, um, it's, it's like he's not normal, so he has to watch everybody else in order to put that persona on, right? It's almost kind of reminds me of a Dexter situation where he he's so crazy that he has to learn what everybody else does around him. It's almost like a robot just to make himself fit in. Yeah, well, one scene that sticks out to me, and it's such a minor scene in a way, but it's also a really major scene for the movie, is the whole uh, business card scene. Right. It's like when they each pull out their business cards, I mean, they might as well be pulling out their dicks and with a measuring stick, you know, and that's it's such a great scene. And the way that they describe their cards, and how they're trying to one up each other and the absolute like just jealousy and envy when uh, they pull out Paul Allen's card and it's got the watermark, you know, <laughs> and it's just it's such a brilliant scene. It's and it's weird because like. Like on paper, I don't know if that would work, but in the movie and with his performance, it works so well. But just the how uncomfortable he looks with the fact that Paul Allen has a better fucking business card than he does. It's it's just one of the scenes that really illustrates kind of what this whole movie is about. It's about excess and trying to be the best, you know, out of a group of people who all want to be the best and uh, wanting to fit in with 
you know these yuppies and it's just uh yeah it's brilliant in a lot of ways yeah it's a that's my personal favorite scene and um i love when lewis is patrick you're sweating <laughs> and then right before that he mentions he mentions how nice the suit is and he goes to touch and he's like your compliment was sufficient <laughs> i love that part but um it just it eats patrick alive because you know he's a big pretender he has all this success yet someone about someone is slightly more successful than him he can get into dorcia which is a hot restaurant that everyone's obsessed with but paul allen can get in his apartment is nicer the hookers he brings over say how paul allen's apartment is nicer he's like it's not that nice like his clothes he mentions a haircut like paul allen is just better than him in patrick's eyes but in our eyes the audience is like all these motherfuckers are the same like i don't know like from a female perspective or even a male perspective that wants to date these kind of people like would you be into that kind of guy like i no. unless you're into money you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's like hey at least you guys can get like manny petties together for sure right <laughs> yeah, i know it... prettier than me so no i'm good <laughs> But uh, yeah, it just eats him alive that someone is more successful in his eyes than him. Even though when you look at the cards, everyone's a fucking vice president of something. So it's like, I don't know. It's just hilarious because the whole movie is basically him competing with Paul Allen. Paul Allen doesn't even know it. Right. I, I think we should just get into our theories because I think that lends the most interesting thing like in other scenes of this movie of what's real what's not because of course you know we get to the ending we find out paul allen he is alive like he didn't really kill paul allen or are people mistaking like you know how everyone kind of calls someone else that other person are people just mistaken again when he says he saw paul allen at the end is he really just seeing someone else in the you know in the office that he thought was paul allen right so that is a, a theory that has spoke you know strewn about but i mean my theory i'll start us off uh, my theory is basically none of this was real this was all in patrick bateman's head and i think there are several things that point to it the biggest being what his secretary finds at his desk at the very end, essentially mapping out everything he did throughout the movie, but sketched out, which makes me think it was just all in his head. And these were his fantasies that he wanted to live out, but never did. Now, I do think some things in the movie were real and we can get into what I think was real and what we what I didn't think was real and everyone else can as well. But my immediate reaction you know the first time i saw this movie and on repeated watches is that it was all a fantasy all right i have a different theory uh, my theory is that um it did happen and the attorney that he called and gave his confession to was basically doing his job after he heard that confession heard everything he did he sent somebody over to the apartment, had it completely cleaned, got rid of everything. And then when he meets him, he basically pretends he's he doesn't know him and says he had dinner in London with Paul Allen, basically giving an alibi and saying, no, that's he's alive. We don't see Paul Allen. We don't know he's still alive. So I'm thinking that the attorney is just basically doing his job, you know, and covering everything up for Patrick Bateman. What about you, Steve? it's tough i'm leaning more towards what joe said that it was all in his head and the scene 
that's the most obvious to me that this is not real is after he kills Paul Allen, he puts him in a bag and he drags him out of the lobby right in front of the security guard with a blood trail going all the way from the elevator to the front doors. But when it goes to the outside shot, you could still see the lobby and there's no blood trail anymore. And the security guard would have obviously seen that. So I don't know. I like there are just these little moments in the movie that just seem like he's imagining the majority of the damage he inflicts. Now, what I do think is real is the prostitutes. You know, he uh, like he beats them up. We don't see him beat them up. The first two. We just see like when they're leaving the apartment, they're beat up because that is the one situation he can control. These people probably won't rat on on him. He doesn't have like the killing instinct. He just he's just an abusive asshole, essentially. So that's why they're allowed to leave. It's because that was a situation they paid for. He controlled as much as he could. And he kind of got out his fantasy out of it, you know, and that's why he's kind of looking at himself when he's fucking them as well. He's not interested in them. He's interested in his control. So I think most of the, like the violence and the deaths are fake, but the, you know, some of the other stuff is real. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's two main points of evidence and then one uh, character motivation that points to this all being in his head. Most of it. Um, I agree that I think the hooker stuff is all real. That's him like kind of breaking the ice, so to speak, into more violent nature stuff, but he's not there yet. And the evidence is what Joe already mentioned. Blood just disappears. And usually, well, I, I got to say too, Patrick is a unreliable narrator, right? So we can't take what he does and say it says, even though we see it at face value, it goes for the book as well as the movie as well. Like he's he's not trustworthy. So the, the evidence is what Joe said. And then Paul Allen's apartment just being spotless. Like, you can't explain it away. I, I get Missy's and I can see that point of view too. And I can understand why people would think that he did all these murders and I can go with it. But personally, I think it's all in his head, mostly because of his his motivation, right? His whole goal is to fit in like we discussed, right? So he is just an empty person. Like, he does not belong in his position like he's a daddy's boy grew up with money silver spoon up his ass all that shit right but he wants to prove himself so bad that he partakes in this materialistic stuff the only time he can feel like he's alive or himself is murderous tendencies because no one else does that or normal people don't do that right that's why he worships ted bundy and talks about what he's uh, ed gein and shit like that so like everything is in his mind because that's the only way he can escape to to be real and there's no way he would put all this work into his image is whether it's fake or not like you know the fake persona if he was going to damage it by being a straight up serial killer so that's why i think he it's all make-believe yeah i i agree i mean i think it's he has those tendencies and everything we see is in his mind besides i 100 agree with the hooker scene that is him acting out those fantasies safely we don't see what he does to them. I mean, we see him open the drawer that has all of these sort of surgical tools. She um, said she needed surgery and, too, possibly, which is disturbing. Right. Very disturbing. So we don't really know what they did. I mean, at one point when they're leaving, she's got the bloody nose. She has a big scratch on her back and stuff like that. So we can only imagine it's all kind of, you know, in your mind what he did to them, which I'm sure was very fucked up. 
But I don't know. Like, I just think it got, especially like at the end, it just gets way too fantastical for me to believe that it's real. You know, he's just shooting people on the street and whatnot. I mean, you're not getting away with that, right? Like, I don't, you know, even, I don't care how good your lawyer is. I don't <laughs> see, you know, even in the 70s or 80s, I actually, I'm sorry, even in the 80s, I, I don't think you're getting away with just cold blood murder on the streets and whatnot. I mean, they still had some sort of technology back then. My other theory that I want to know is, is Willem Dafoe real? Is that, I tend to think he's not real. I think my theory is that is another one of Patrick's fantasies being played out and that Willem Dafoe's character is completely in his mind as well. I think that's a, that's a good question. I, I think if we, if we trust Jean, then he's real. But if she is, if we're only seeing her from Patrick's point of view, which is unreliable, I think that's a plausible because he, he does interact with the other guys though. They, they're talking about it at a round table. Yeah, but it's but Patrick's there, right? So this could yeah. all be in his imagination, right? Like, and it makes sense because, like, why would if Paul Allen really is in London and he was seen in London, why is his, you know, girlfriend or wife? I can't remember. I think it was his girlfriend or whatever at the time, like filing this missing persons report. If people really, you know, do know that he is True. away and whatnot, so that makes me think if. We're going with the theory that most of this is played out in his head. I feel like he would create this sort of detective character to sort of cover his tracks and kind of play into this fantasy more. Yeah, I, I think um, it's definitely possible that William Defoe is is uh, a figment of his imagination. If, if like you said, it's all in his head, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. going with my theory, the, the, <laughs> the least... The least uh, <laughs> popular theory, the apartment, going back to the apartment, he opens it, he goes in, they're showing this apartment, he opens the closet, there's fresh paint, it's obviously been just redone, and when he, he talks to the real estate agent, her face like drops when he asks about Paul Allen, and she's, she asks him to leave, she said, I think you better leave, so that to me is what also made me think that this apartment was just cleaned and and they were trying to to cover something up and the real estate agent was in on it um so okay a few things from all the stuff that was said so the first one for what missy just said is it was that just the apartment that he felt paul allen would be at you know he just kind of scoped out uh because there was an ad in the paper that he reads that showed that apartment and did he use that apartment in his mind as Paul Allen's apartment and then when he goes there and he asks like you know does Paul Allen live here and they're kind of like no because he he never lived there it's just something he made up in his head by seeing that apartment in the newspaper so where, I think where does he go then though when he steals Paul Allen's keys and then ultimately takes the hookers back to him I I, I don't know are you yeah. saying that could have been his own house. It that, could have that, been, that was the second um, time, right? With the, with the second hookers? time he takes him to Paul's. Yeah, I, I don't. Right, think, that was all. I don't. I think, imagination. Right? Yeah, I don't think the second hooker scene was real because mm -hmm. he kills them. And let's face it, that chainsaw scene. There's no fucking way. There's just no <laughs> way in hell that he threw a chainsaw <laughs> down what like five stories and times it perfectly dead on. <laughs> like yeah, I I think that second hooker scene was all in his head. So that's. I, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I did think it was really hilarious when Patrick 
runs in the bathroom and bites her on the ankle. Just that whole, <laughs> right, yeah. like, I just like, what's he doing? And why does nobody else in the apartment complex hear the chainsaw? Well, yeah, no, that's a good <laughs> right. point. And like, to the to the side of it being that everything we say is everything we see is true, like murders and all that stuff. Then we we definitely have to like accept that in this 1980s society, no one gives a shit. Everyone looks out for themselves. Everyone cares about their image. They don't care about anybody else. Then I guess you can accept it. But then you get into like the realm of like, the, come on, <laughs> like he's killing cops. You know, he's killing a doorman, a fucking. The, the cleaning guy when he goes through the revolving door twice just to shoot him <laughs> like it's it's the rampage is like Steve, uh, like Joe mentioned is just too out there yeah I, I think the extent of the deaths in this film are and I hate to I fucking hated this by the way are, his are animals I think yeah. he might have killed a dog and I think he was about to kill a cat because that is again the one mm-hmm. thing he can actually like kind of control and get away with to enact his fantasies you know we hear it all the time of like serial killers they always start off by killing animals and then eventually move to humans and i feel he's at that kind of early stage where he's imagining a lot of the the things he wants to do and he's starting to act out those fantasies on animals and act out those fantasies by beating up prostitutes like he does the first time so i think um yeah i i you know that's why i still think the whole thing is or most of it is in his mind yeah well i mean for what it's worth in the book he does torture small animals like he buys dogs just to kill them so and he killed the homeless man that's probably that would probably be in real category too dog i don't know i i don't think i don't think the i don't think that even the dog kill is real honestly or the homeless man kill i don't think he kills any actual person in this entire movie if anything maybe he kills an animal but i don't think any of the human killings are real. I I just don't think he had it in him yet. I think it was something he fantasized about, but I don't think he ever actually was ready to go through with it yet. I think he was building on it, maybe. You know, I don't know. Like, right, people have fucked up thoughts in their head all the time. I mean, I, I don't know. I think everyone has kind of thought about, man, like, if I could just get my hands on this person or something, right? I think anyone, everyone has had that sort of thought in their head of, like, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic and, you know, you're like, you think of like running them off the road or something like that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the fucked no, up one. No, it's not just you. But yeah, just... I mean, I think we've all had those kind of fucked up thoughts. Let's see he Paul take... Allen's fantasy. He... <laughs> he takes it He takes it to an extreme here and we see those extreme thoughts. At one point, you do see him taking some sort of medication, if you remember, right? Before he's ready to kill Paul the, Allen. I the phone can't remember too. Okay, yeah. So freak out, yeah. Right. So I think he definitely has some psychotic tendencies and he's probably taken medication for that. That is probably helping him not act on these things. But yeah, I don't, Steve, what did you think about Willem Dafoe? I didn't hear your thoughts on that. that, That's the other, but I also want to bring up another point. Uh, So first I I do think Willem Dafoe was also uh, an imagination and the scene that kind of makes me think that is when he pulls out the CD, which just happens to be Hugh Lewis in the news. And it just, it's there's too much coincidence there there's just no way that you know because that like he if he was real and he he was just kind of baiting patrick that's the one thing that there's no way he would know you know that's just like something that was absolutely just patrick so i don't think uh he was real and my other question let's say we're accepting the fact that it was all in his head i think another scene that was actually real is when he brings his secretary over to his house 
And I think that was an actual attempt to maybe kill someone for the first time because he, he like behind her and he's got, I don't remember what he's holding. He's holding something. An Elgin, yeah. Uh, But he doesn't go through with it. And I think that might've been a legit attempt and just proves that he doesn't have kind of the balls to carry out murders. Oh, that's a good point. And he's, he tells her something bad will happen if you stay and he's, you know, right. he loses control, but usually it's in a freak out, never physical control. But what do you have to say, Joe? No, I was gonna say, I a hundred percent agree. I think that is in many of the scenes that we might not think are real. I think that one is agreed a hundred percent real. So I have a, a question and it's a, uh... It's not a theory. Like it, it works either way if it's in his head or if it's actually happening. And by no means do I care what sexual orientation anyone is. But do you think Patrick Bateman is gay? Because there's a couple signals here that I think he's struggling with his sexuality. You know, Lewis uh, is obviously a homosexual man, right? Uh, has a huge crush on Patrick. And whenever Lewis comes into the room, Patrick automatically goes like kind of like gets in a shell. Like either it's because he has closet homosexual feelings or he is so like heterosexual that it it sickens him to see a gay man. Right. Also when he goes to attack Lewis and he puts his hand around his neck, uh, Lewis turns right. And then kisses his hand. He doesn't like, he doesn't say I'm not gay. He says, I'm not sexually attracted to you. So Lewis is like, Hey, I've been waiting for this Patrick, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Lewis, I'm not sexually attracted to you. So the normal normal is the wrong word, but go with it the normal reaction would be like oh sorry man i'm not gay not i'm not sexually attracted to you so that's another kind of point and maybe his whole mania is that he's trying to be like the alpha male let's talk about women like objects but he is an homosexual man and it's eating him up inside what do you guys think it's a weird correlation but do you think that's why he doesn't look at the women when he's having sex with them he looks in the mirror the whole time. I'm not saying that he's attracted to <laughs> him. Well, he biceps, might, Steve. He might be attracted to himself and he's very self-centered, but maybe he's only fucking the women because that's what a man like him is expected to do. And he, since he's not actually attracted to them, he kind of just looks at himself, you know, and doesn't really pay attention to that. He never really seems into the women, you know, he just, he's more interested in, the control part of it it's and he's it's more an inter- yeah it's it's, it's like more of an interesting thing than actually being like horny for them you know it's, it's like this really weird thing and that would actually make sense if he's actually a closet homosexual and he's just carrying it out because that's his expectation of what he's supposed to be yeah and if he if this is all happening we'll go on the side that's happening if he's going to kill anybody it's going to be lewis right because he lewis risks outing him to his friends which he can't have that can't happen like this is fucking patrick's life like he cannot risk lewis calling him gay or whatever so he doesn't kill him though why is that it's it's i don't know a lot of a lot of signs point to his closet homosexuality in my opinion yeah i you know i never really thought about it until just now and you guys bring it up i mean it makes a hell of a lot of sense like the more you think about it he's not interested in his fiance he even calls her his supposed fiance he doesn't want to get married to her he has said that he does not terribly important to me right he he just doesn't seem i mean and he is of course he's uh, having sex with a lot of women but you're right he is supposed to be the alpha male he cares about you know only his appearance his image and whatnot and 
Steve kind of made it click. Like when he is having sex with these women, he's literally looking at himself, his body, you know, flexing on himself and stuff like that. It makes a lot of sense. This takes place in the eighties. Most men were not coming, you know, it was definitely more of a taboo thing back then. People weren't, were staying more in the closet. They weren't coming out as openly as uh, they are today. So it does make sense that maybe he is a closeted, you know, homosexual man that, um, you know, is kind of living with, you know, this could be another reason that's kind of tearing him apart inside, right? Like, you, you know, he's living with that and he's also living with these sort of psychotic tendencies and it's kind of all kind of boiling over and this is kind of what we're seeing. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, ultimately, I think he, he can't express himself in a healthy way. He can't tell his friends he likes men. He can't go to his shrink because they're all in the same circle. Like he went to his lawyer you know, they're all like, I, I fucking, you know, everyone's covering for each other's ass because everyone's in the club, right? So like, yeah, no, I mean, not to say the same thing again, but he, he's just eating up inside and he has this closet homosexuality mixed with like these bad thoughts. And the only way he can escape is essentially fantasizing. So in a way, he's kind of tragic, but he is also a major piece of shit. Don't, don't get me wrong. I never picked up on any of that, but everything that you say, com- it makes sense now. It clicks completely. Yeah, I agree with you. Now get down on your knees so Sabrina could see your asshole. <laughs> like, what a <laughs> line, right? <laughs> like, out of nowhere. Yeah, I, it, I know. It's we, we have to talk about the dialogue. You know, so we talk a lot about serious stuff. He says a lot of fucked up shit in this movie, and I was just curious, what are some of your favorite Patrick Bateman lines in this movie? Every time he leaves the room and somebody asks him where he's going, he says he's returning videotapes. Every single time. <laughs> That's his go-to line. That is a great one. Not even a line. One of my favorite just random scenes is when he's fucking heavily working out with Texas Chainsaw Massacre playing in the background. That is just fantastic. I also love when he's, he's talking about he, when they arrive at one of the restaurants and he's like, you know, uh, I'm in pure I'm on the pan- verge of tears. I, I'm, yeah, I'm on the verge of tears <laughs> when I thought we're not going to get a good table. And then he's like, but thankfully we do. And an awesome wave, you know, you know, rolls over me. That was great. And then when he first goes into, he's like, I arrive at Paul Allen's house and I am in sheer panic when I see that his apartment overlooks the, uh, the garden is far more expensive than mine. That one just, I mean, just, there's so many just like funny lines, just like simple lines that don't make you like laugh out loud, but like, it's just, they're so funny internally. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, uh, I like when. The hookers, she's calling because he uh, tells them to call him Paul Allen to build his alibi. <laughs> she's like, this is nicer than your old apartment, Paul. He's like, it's not that nice. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. And then I like when he tells Evelyn, like, I'm just terribly or I'm not. You're No, you're just terribly not that important to me or something like that. I'm just like cold hearted to her face and like telling her it doesn't matter that I want to fit in line just hits because he's listening to his music and she's droning on. And he's like, because I want to fit in. It's just uh, it's good. But like. The entire inner monologue that Christian does is just so fucking cool because it's, it's so like even monotone and he says the wildest shit like I'm on the verge of tears, but it's it's delivered in such a way that it's just hilarious. I have a question that I picked up on. So many people in this movie call him by different names. Nobody calls him by his name. And when they talk to him about Patrick Bateman, they describe him as being weak. Everybody. 
like he's a weak he's door yeah things like that so are we are we the audience seeing the real patrick bateman or are we seeing what he wants us to see excellent question and that is another great theory right yeah maybe not right i mean this could go over the whole sort of he feels he really doesn't look like that at all right he is just really a really feeble nerdy guy and he's you know he kind of built this whole sort of bravada to make himself to build himself up i mean i think it's a a great question and one i don't have the answer to (laughs) yeah that is a really good point personally though i think that since his effort to fit in like that's all he does i think it just worked too well and like he does fit in he's he's one of the guys because he does have his core group and they all hang out with him he's successful and then he's got the hot wife right so yeah personally i think it's just like he he did too good of a job and he just blends in with everybody because they all talk shit about each other when whoever's not in the room in the book gets shit talked. So. Right. I mean, that's the other thing too, is like no one, everyone calls each other by the wrong name. I mean, it's like, no, it just like goes with the theory that no one in this wall street world gives a fuck about who you are. It's all about status symbol. Who's got the best house. Who's got the best business card. And you (laughs) actually don't, you don't care about getting to know any of these people. It's all just, as surface level as surface level gets uh, yeah excellent and i mean even like the most successful person in this film paul allen in the opening he gets they confused price i think confuses him with someone else so like yeah like you said not even not even the like the biggest dick on the block gets recognized properly and the mistress too the that he had she was a complete drug addict and she had she had nothing going for her but he said she's the as perfect looking as as they can get so he was all about you know okay that's the way she looks so i need to be with her not about her as a person absolutely yeah it's all about the trophy right it's like you know oh i got the hottest girl i got the the biggest apartment but it all don't mean shit yeah but that's a great scene too when she's fucking like drugged out on lithium and he brings her to dorcia but it's really another restaurant that, that was uh that was great is another great line when like Paul Allen's like, we should have went to Dorcia. And he's like, no one goes there anymore when, you know, he secretly like knows it's the most exclusive. (laughs) Just great stuff. All right. We got anything else? I mean, I feel like we went pretty deep into this. This is a good discussion. Final thoughts, theories. This has a message of basically like when you're in high society, you can get away with anything that there are no consequences. You know, he can say what he wants to say. Nobody believes him, you know, again, whether or not he said it or not, that is, you know, to be debated. But I think that's kind of an uh, an overlying message. Uh, one question before we uh, kind of rate it here. The scene in the dry cleaner, what was that about? Because clearly the sheets are stained with red. Was it actually, you know, cranberry juice, whatever the fuck he says it was, or apple juice (laughs) or was it something else so that is the one scene in this movie and i was going to mention this and then i forgot that is the one scene in the movie that does confuse me a little bit right and i i don't know if it's intended to confuse the audience or not right when you finally start theorizing at the end that is the one scene where you're like that is peculiar right compared to everything else you can kind of look at and say that was his imagination why would this one scene be in his imagination you know so it comes to the theory well did he really spill cranapple cranberry juice and it's just kind of 
playing on that theory of did he do it or really didn't he do it? Or did he practice killing, you know, Todd had mentioned he kills small animals in the books and stuff like that. So maybe he's killed an animal or something. I don't know. That's, that is the one scene that I, I look to and it, it does kind of divert me from my original theory and be like, well, maybe he really did kill someone. Yeah. There are scenes in here that totally can debunk it's in his mind. And this is definitely one of them. So yeah, really don't know. Cause he does, he does, you know, yell at the woman and then comes back and it's all, that's all in his mind at that point. But the, the woman that comes in and that he knows there's definitely something on those sheets because she asked about it. And then when he leaves, she looks at, you know, she, her face just looks like she's kind of shocked at what she sees on the sheets. What do you think, Steve? I, I, I'm like, I, I, I have trouble with this scene. I really don't know how to take this scene. Like what, what part of it is real? What part of it is fake? You know, is it actually something he just dropped on it? Is it blood? It's, I don't know. It's, it's like a really weirdly paced scene. It's a really weirdly filmed scene. It's, you know, he's yelling at someone who doesn't understand him and they're yelling at each other, but you know, there's like a total cultural barrier and that woman that comes in, it's kind of random. Like it's, you know, I don't know. She's one of his victims later. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Like, did she actually come in or did he deal with it himself? Was that just his way of like somehow making a power move with just putting the dry cleaning away, you know, that he like made someone that he actually doesn't care for, you know, cause he, there's a, that whole scene where are you available for dinner this day? And he's like, kind of trying to put it off, you know, Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> he looks at his watch Saturday. <laughs> right? Can't. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it could be, you could, you know, throw it away simply as, they were just dirty sheets, right? And that girl coming in was fake. There really wasn't blood stained. They were just maybe something else stained on the sheets, right? And he's, you know, fighting with the the dry cleaning lady just about some dirty sheets, right? And then he kind of introduces this other character, like you guys said, is just another imagine, um, like imaginary way. I mean, because, you know, at one point he threatened to you know, killer, you know, right. the, yeah, yeah, which, right. you know, who knows? There was a language barrier there. So maybe he really did say that, you know, I, right. I don't know. You know, maybe it was a, a moment of him snapping, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, that is, I agree. That is the one scene I think you point to and it creates a little confusion with the audience, maybe intent in, intentionally. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's plausible. Everyone likes fight club and that is completely mm-hmm. made up, right? right. Kyler yeah. doesn't exist. So spoilers. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but Brad Easton Ellis, just to add a couple more things, like he, the, the, the author came out and said like, he completely intended for it to be ambiguous. Like whatever you think happened, happened, you know? So there's no wrong theory. It's smart enough to like, for us to, you know, like, Oh, what the fuck? You know, like it's, that's a sign of good storytelling. Right. So who would like to go first rating? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start us off and I will just say I did. I haven't read the book in a long time. I remember the book being far more graphic than the movie like it it would be it would be like x x x rated like you could not get away with it so i would definitely recommend reading the book if you ever have a chance it it it, uh really gets deep into some uh hardcore stuff even the sex scenes are even more graphic in in the book so there's that and the the death scenes and everything it's good it's a very good read yeah i love this movie the more times i watch it the more i like it there's just you pick up so much and why i love this movie so much is 
this, like this discussion we just had, we had a, like a, just an amazing discussion. I feel like about theories, what was real, what, what wasn't I, that, I, that, that is the type of movie I love a movie that really makes you think a movie you can really, there's really no wrong answers, right? Like it's however you want it to go is how it could potentially go. So it's just fantastic writing, fantastic acting. I love this movie. I can't remember where I placed it. I was trying to think today where I placed it on my best of the decades list, but if I didn't put it top three, I mean, I'm disappointed in myself, but I think I did. I, it, to me, this, this movie's excellent. I give it a five out of five. Very good. Yeah, just to expand on the book, man. Yeah, those the kills in the book are. I was disturbed at a lot of the points. He at one point he uh, inserts a a tube into a victim's vagina, who's also nailed to a board, and puts a rat that he had been starving for some days into that tube, and goes into her body, and it's fucking like gosh. But the way he writes it too is like one scene literally is like, yeah. Then I offered her a glass of wine, and the next line is, I'm I'm hammering her her hand to the board as she's screaming. I'm like, what the fuck? Like it's 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 just like how Christian delivers the lines in the movie. I'm slightly lower with Joe. I'm at four and a half out of five because I do agree with Steve. I think the last act gets a little bit convoluted, but man, excellent performance, ambiguous, fucking love it. Four and a half out of five. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm right up there with you guys. Everybody in this movie was a, a great performance, delivered a great performance. Um, I've always loved this movie and I, I, I love the different theories that we talked about. I love that, that you can read into every time you watch it, you see something different in the people's facial expressions or little things in the background. Now, next time I watch it, I'm going to check and see if he has cranberry juice in his fridge when he opens it up. So, <laughs> so but yeah, I always, I've always liked this movie and it just reminded me of how good it is. I'm glad we watched it. And I'm going to say four and a half out of five. So I came into this thinking I was probably closer to a four, but after discussing it, you know, and just realizing just how deep this movie is, it's actually one of my favorite discussions we've ever had, to be honest with you. There's just a lot of great theories and a lot of great, like, kind of counterpoints and points, and it was a really fun discussion. So I'm going to go four and a half out of five. Again, for the same reason I said at the beginning is I find the last act slows down and a lot of my favorite stuff happens near the beginning of the movie as opposed to the end. So that's why I think it's not a full five. Definitely a brilliant movie that people absolutely need to check out. And I'm not that big of a reader. I mean, the only people I read is, uh, you know, Todd Condit, uh, Eric Epps, and, uh, and Caitlin Dottie. That's, that's basically the only three authors I'll ever read. Uh, but I have actually picked this one up because now I'm curious to see kind of more of this world. Um, but I will give everyone a piece of advice. And this is free advice. Please, for the love of Christ, do not watch American Psycho 2 because <laughs> it is nothing like this. William Shatner and um, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. Oof. Is it just like a standard slasher, or what's the deal? It's yeah, kind of. It's 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 ter it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Is Patrick like her fucking uncle or something. I don't remember them mentioning anything. I don't from think American there's Psycho. even like a connection. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it so long. I know it's regarded as like one of the worst sequels ever made though. Like it's yeah. always on the list of like worst sequels ever. So yeah, yeah. definitely don't watch it. <laughs> Try, trying to see what, what, uh, I, what I gave it when uh, I watched it on Tubi a couple of years ago. Sounds like a one star or half star to me. <laughs> yeah. it's it, 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 it 1.6 on letterbox. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard a person that liked it. So, <laughs> Steve, you gave it a one. Yeah, that that's that that sounds about right. 
it's before I started uh, writing reviews, but it's on Peacock. Okay, and, and, and on Tubi in Canada. So <laughs> there you go. Speaking of great writers like Todd, Todd, isn't your trailer out for like your little short that's happening? Yeah, man. Thanks. Yeah, so one of my stories I got picked up, uh, Doors of Darkness. You can go to doorsofdarkness.com. The writer, uh, the editor, Caleb's an amazing guy, and he put together like a list of amazing authors that I'm humbled to be a part of because I've read some of theirs, all of theirs, actually, and I'm like, fuck, like, these are fucking good. Like, people that have actually sold to big publishers are in this. I'm like, damn. But yeah, go to doorsofdarkness.com. It's up for pre-order now, and I think you get, like, free bookmarks or anything like that, or something like that. And then also... Caleb, the editor, like I said, and the owner of the company did a little, like a minute long teaser short film about it, showcasing like some of the short stories and my short story came out in it as three young gentlemen in a tent camping out, which we all did as kids. Because my story is set around three young kids that are just bullshitting in the tent, talking about urban legends when they go to decide to see if one is real or not. So check it out, doorsdarkness.com for the book. Excellent. Everyone head over there, go support our buddy Totter. And all right, everybody, that is going to be it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed our review of American Psycho. Next week, we start Christmas month, although this really starts it, right? Because American Psycho is kind of a Christmas movie. There were some Christmas themes. It's set around uh, wintertime and whatnot. So, But our official Christmas month will kick off next week. We are going to be reviewing It's a Wonderful Knife, which was my pick for this month. Uh, it is currently out on shutter or it will be out on shutter by the time our uh, next episode releases so go check that movie out on shutter so you can be ready for our review of it's a wonderful life in the meantime you can follow us on uh any of our socials facebook twitter instagram just search the horror squad podcast you can email us anytime of course the horror squad podcast at gmail.com and as you know it the absolute best way to keep up with the podcast is our discord all you gotta do is shoot us an email, send us a DM on our socials. We will get you a link to our Discord. Completely free to join. Amazing community over there. Movie club, right, Steve? Coming up this week? Yeah, the day this episode releases. There'll be a movie club. We're gonna watch a Christmas movie. It's going to be voted on by the Discord. Uh, that's happening right now. You probably missed it by the time you're in this episode. But come join us for movie club. Absolutely free. I post a link on Discord. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern time. All right, yeah. So if you missed this month, Movie Club every single month over on our Discord, among many, many other things, behind-the-scenes stuff, already teasers for next year's Hocus Pocus event we are planning, so a lot of exciting stuff over there. Definitely go and join our Discord. Once again, completely free to join. Join in an amazing community over there. Merch, don't forget merch, tpublic.com. Just search the Horror Squad podcast. And, of course, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do it, leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app that would help us the most uh, help get more engagement out there, get more people to find the show, tell a friend. It would help a lot. I think that's about it folks. Don't forget, stick around for our interview, Steve with Amanda Jane Stern from the movie. Perfectly good moment. All right. Stick around for that. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 Hello everyone. And welcome back to the horror squad podcast where tonight we have a very special guest. We have the writer and star of the upcoming film, Perfectly Good Moment, which is currently touring the festival circuit, Amanda Jane Stern. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's very much a pleasure uh, having you on the show. We actually 
uh, for those who you know have maybe listened, we were actually appeared together on another podcast, the Don't Be Crazy podcast, where we mm-hmm. talked about VHS 85. And I'm very appreciative to Amanda having been there because we both didn't like the movie, <laughs> whereas the other yes. two did. So it was, uh, we it was were a pleasure. The, the dissenting voices for uh, entirely different reasons. Yeah, exactly. And I'm anxious to talk to you about horror in general because we did have we did touch the subject a little bit on that podcast so people should check that out but i do want to dive deeper but before i get into that i do want to talk about the movie perfectly good moment can you tell our listeners kind of what the movie is about sure so perfectly good moment is a two-character um psychosexual revenge thriller it follows a couple that's been together on and off for eight years when they met she was 19 and he was 34 and it's eight years later and you're watching the movie from three different timelines and different perspectives so in the first act you're in his perspective they've just reunited it's this sort of dreamy erotic glowy romantic movie and then the second act you flash back six months to when they broke up the last time and you've kind of stripped away all of the romanticness and it's very flat it's dry it's it's the truth of this relationship and then in the third act you're going back to what you saw in the first act but now you're in her perspective and instead of being this dreamy glowy romantic piece you're in this very green revenge angry thriller so there are two things about this movie that really surprised me the first one is a spoiler which involves an unexpected twist so i'm not going to talk about that but the (laughs) other one is how uncomfortable this film made me and i say that in the best way possible what was your approach (laughs) in tackling a heavy subject like emotional abuse yeah i um so i i wrote this back in february of 2021 and I I think actually a lot as I was writing these scenes I thought because there's a lot of it that is very much the combination of physical intimacy with what the characters are saying to each other and how underhanded they are especially what David is saying to Ruby and so as I was writing these scenes I was thinking am I turned on am I deeply uncomfortable if I feel both things that's that's what I need you know um, and I, I think it's also just that we see a lot of um, these sorts of relationships on screen. At least I, I can think of a lot of movies that, you know, Manhattan, Last mm-hmm. Tango in Paris, it is always the male perspective. And it's always a girl who is way too young. They're mm-hmm. both teenagers in those movies to like 50 year old men. And it's always his, oh, yay, look at me. This is great. And it's, it's never letting the woman years after the fact look back and reflect and realize wait there there was a huge you know toxic power imbalance and i'm not saying every age gap relationship has a power imbalance but there is a power imbalance when one person starts the relationship and they're still a teenager right yeah uh you know we obviously there's a horror podcast so we tackle a lot of heavy subjects but it's really stuff like this that tends to get to me more because this is like real horror you know this is real life abuse and real life situations that hopefully people aren't relating to too much but at the same time it was written and acted so well that I was believing everything that was going on on screen so how do you as a writer first and then I'll ask as an actress Mm -hmm. uh, how do you put yourself into this role to really kind of convey the emotions that you're going through this one was actually really easy 
to write for me. That sounds awful. This was really easy to write though. Right. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, it's not based on any specific relationship. It is fiction, but mm -hmm. I did grow up in New York City and from a very young age started getting sexualized by adult men mm -hmm. when I was, you know, literally the moment I hit puberty. So there's a lot of that you internalize as you're, you're growing up. You know, the first time a man told me I was precocious, I was 12. Eesh. And <laughs> you you internalize that for a while and you, you really think, oh, yeah, I'm an old soul. I'm not like the girls my age. I'm so mature. And then you become a real adult, talk to other women, realize a lot of them have that story, too. And you think, shit, no, wait. Ooh, that's a, that's a big, big problem. Um, so I was I was kind of pulling from a lot of that, and then there's a lot of physicality in the movie, and a lot of David constantly touching Ruby. Part of that is because I was thinking as a writer, I'm making a two character movie set mostly in one location. How do you make it visually interesting? Mm -hmm. um, give them something physical to do, but also because my own personal experiences is just men men that i know men that i don't know feel the constant need to touch me it's it's lovely it's you know you could just be out and it's a guy puts his hand on the small of your back it's very often the small of your back mm -hmm. it's it's the waistline it's the oh i just wanted to see if it really was that small um <laughs> So it, it was a lot of me pulling from those experiences to write this and just kind of finally sitting down and saying, I'm I'm going to write this all out there. I'm going to write a character who's nothing like I really am in real life. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to put, I guess, all of my frustration and anger and everything I want to see in a movie into this. Stephen Carlyle is the other person in the film, and mm -hmm. you both work off each other so well in this conveying kind of this story. Uh, what was it like on set? What was it like working with him? And what's the experience of filming something so heavy? You're basically the two of you are are the whole film. You know, there, there's other characters that come into play in different ways, not on screen. So mm -hmm. what was it like just being you two on set doing this movie? I love him. He is he's a dream to work with I actually um I wrote it I wrote the script for him um <laughs> we met he so he plays Scar in the Lion King on Broadway he is oh, still nice. in the Lion King on Broadway I met him after a performance once back in January of 2020 um the way he tells the story is oh you know Amanda came to see the show and then she came backstage and we had a couple bottles of champagne <laughs> um and yeah that's what happened <laughs> there were other people there too uh and that was kind of it we you know we swapped contact info and we followed each other on Instagram friended each other on Facebook didn't really stay in touch mm -hmm. um but then I always like I left that meeting and I always kind of had this inkling in my mind that guy would be fun to work with so I started writing this and um I knew I needed an actor who I could actually envision in this part and the the whole thing about the photograph that they're looking at at the beginning is a real photograph taken at the kitchen garden at Hampton Court in in England I really did go to a wedding in London where we wore the fascinators oh nice 
And I was just thinking about that. I, I was literally like staring at my own bookcase, thinking <laughs> about that. And I thought, oh, well, okay. I can make him British. I can use this photo because then it's a practical thing. Um, so I might as well write it for that guy. Why not? Mm. Um, so I did that and I texted him kind of out of the blue, said, hey, buddy, been a while. Want to make a movie? <laughs> uh, call me. So I I sent him the script. He called me. I I kind of talked him through it. And then he said, yeah, I'm in. And then I think I came back to him and I said, okay, well, we're interviewing directors. We're looking for the funding. Uh, we're thinking we want to shoot you know, this, these dates. And then he went back and, and reread it. And like a great actor, he'd only ever really read the dialogue and not all of the stage directions. And he <laughs> went back and read all the stage directions and he calls me and he goes, you know, I've only ever had one stage kiss before. <laughs> um, and I said, that's, that's fine. I've done more than that. Um, but we're also bringing on an intimacy coordinator because this is really intense. And I think they're important to work with so we rehearsed the shit out of this movie mm -hmm. went over boundaries to death and by the time we got to set we were super comfortable with each other uh we are the closest of friends now and it was just it was the safest set environment i've ever been on Stephen and i both snap in and out of character really quickly so unless we were rehearsing unless laura and our director yelled action we were not in character we were goofing off and Brittany was fixing my hair and makeup every single time um but we we would completely snap out of character and it would just be okay do you want club soda right now or do you need the coffee can and we'd hide cans of cold brew coffee and and seltzer all over the set because we'd be like double fisting them and we'd have Listerine packs hidden under couch cushions <laughs> and everything. So it'd be, okay, do you want to freshen your breath? Do you want coffee right now? We'll both do the same thing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I'm glad you mentioned it because that actually leads into the question I had next, which is about the intimacy coordinator. I was happy to see that uh, the intimacy coordinator got like a big credit. You know, usually they're kind of buried in the credits if they're there at all. It's something that's yeah. kind of new to cinema, and I think it's about time, to be honest. So can you explain a little bit what the process was uh, with the intimacy coordinator and just maybe explain to my listeners if they don't know what it is, because it is a fairly new thing, what exactly they do on set? Absolutely. It's a very new thing. It's it's really only the last five or so years here in film and TV. It started actually about a decade ago in British theater. Um, and we intentionally put our intimacy coordinator in the opening credits, which is not standard, mm -hmm. but I also wanted people to know coming into this movie that coming into it, you know what it is. You've seen the trailer, you know, there's a lot of intimacy and you know that it's a thriller and it does not look like a healthy relationship. So I, I wanted to some degree to, you know, abate people's fears and say, Hey, no matter what you see on screen. There was an intimacy coordinator on for this entire time. So you you can breathe that sigh of relief that the actors, even if the characters aren't fine, the actors are fine. So basically what an intimacy coordinator does is they are the person who, they serve kind of two purposes. On the one hand, they make sure that filming intimate scenes are safe, that no one's boundaries are crossed, that everyone 
is giving full enthusiastic consent before the, well before they shoot a scene so that and and that they're also on the lookout that hey maybe this scene is triggering something and they know how to help you know lessen that take a pause help things move along and then on the other side they also serve as choreographer they usually come from a movement or a stunts background so they know how to say here here's what you have in the script here's what the actor's boundaries are here's where you want the camera to be placed here's how you do that so it looks like they're actually doing this without them actually doing this here's what they wear so it looks like they're naked if they're not naked and very often the answer to what they're wearing is a sideless sticky thong <laughs> mm -hmm. and when you film in 110 degree weather <laughs> you have to have that reapplied after every take <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, so, and I think it's awesome that uh, you put it in the you know the main credits, which is you know it's a breath of fresh air for that. We're uh, on set the whole time; it's a but, huge yeah. part of the movie. It's not just a if it were a one scene thing, it'd mm -hmm. be in the end credits. But in this case, it it's it is almost the purpose of this relationship. Right, absolutely. So there are two things in this movie that I want to discuss. It's it's more on the superficial side of this film. Uh, number one is. Do apartments in New York usually have an elevator that goes straight to their place? Really, really rich apartments do. That really is an apartment in Soho. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> that's like a $4 million apartment. We sent the guy who lives there on vacation. Okay. It's a lot cheaper to send someone on vacation than to actually rent a space like that. <laughs> um, yeah, no. If That is a very specific kind of apartment. Only old Soho lofts look like that. There are some apartments on the Upper West and Upper East Side in very expensive buildings where the elevator will open into the apartment. Yeah. And you have a key that turns on or off the elevator for your floor. That That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I, was so I, I, I was so curious about that when I watched the movie. I'm like, really? Wow, that's that's awesome. Maybe I'm missing out here. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I could never afford one of those. <laughs> never. <laughs> And my other question, and I, I was really like, okay, well, this is odd. Maybe it's a New York thing. A knife and fork to eat pizza? Is that a, a oh, thing? Oh, just making York? fun of the Brit. Okay. <laughs> that, that was like, wow, just that's, making a, fun of, of him that's for an being interesting British. choice. <laughs> no, I actually, I have pizza right here. We fold it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> that's that's just us making fun of him. And also right. because it's it's dainty. Right. For her and so much of what she is now internalized as being dainty. Mm -hmm. And so you wouldn't be scarfing down a slice, folded over. It would be right. cutting it. Oh, it's so hot. I have to eat this daintily. Right. Which goes a lot into the way the wine is treated in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, I do <laughs> want to ask you a few questions about horror. We are a horror podcast. Yes. And we had we had started a great discussion on the other podcast, on the Don't Be Crazy podcast, but I want to go a little deeper into kind of what your thoughts are about horror movies and things like that. And my first one, it's a general question. What are some of the horror movies that you like? So I'm a big fan. I, I love the genre called the old dark house genre. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually named after a 33 movie called This Old Dark House. It's a James Whale movie. Um, it's not the first movie in that trope the first one is actually a 1927 silent film called the cat and the canary uh is is what started it and it's you know the people who for whatever reason end up in an old dark house and then there's a madman on the loose there are ghosts there are walls that open people start getting murdered it's, it's kind of a proto 
slasher uh, genre in many ways. Um, and up until a 1944 movie called The Uninvited, the mm. answer in all of these movies is that it was never actually something supernatural. It was always a person who was greedy. Right. It's almost like Scooby-Doo, right. <laughs> you know? Um, I I love that genre. I love that. I love gothic horror and the the uh in 2005 a critic termed the movies like rebecca those like suspenseful again they're the relationship horror basically uh the don't trust your husbands mm-hmm. i'm a very big fan of that i like ghost stories and that kind of fits in with the the gothic um <laughs> so i'm i'm kind of i'm a little all over the place i like a lot of things i as a general i'm not the biggest fan of the torture porn style of horror right. okay i'm not it's not that i'm opposed to gore i think gore is fine i just don't find that to be what scares me it's more oh okay we're being gory to right. be gory and it's not emotionally resonating with me and i want the movie to to emotionally do something right is there anything kind of the modern era that you really liked being such a fan of kind of <laughs> yes. old-timey horror <laughs> oh yeah definitely um I fucking I I mean you know who didn't but Barbarian was actually mm-hmm. truly amazing. It was so twisty. It was unemotionally that one resonates. It is it is true. You know that is a movie that I was really watching where, and I I think I said this on Don't Be Crazy that I'm not sure anymore what really you know makes me scream scared but that was a movie that i was watching and the pit of my stomach i was so uncomfortable and i love that i love that tension um i am a fan of the movie fresh i just think it's a lot of fun i think it was you know i think the commercial and the title gave away where it was going i don't care about that i i just thought it was fun you know i i like that they they let her get fucking angry and she goes for the overkill and i'm always yelling like you just stabbed him. Stab. Keep stabbing. Right. <laughs> Make it, cut the head off. Do not. No, no, no. Cut that head off. And she does. And mm-hmm. um, and I just, I enjoyed that. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, So I'd say those are the two most recent that I've really, and then horror comedies. I've loved the, I like Freaky was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed the Happy Death Day movies. Um, I saw all of those on Valentine's Day because that's what I do on <laughs> Valentine's Day. I go to horror movies. Megan nice. was last year's movie. <laughs> And that was a lot of fun too. Um, but I really, yeah, I think Barbarian was the absolute like best that I've seen recently. Awesome. Also, being a fan of old timey films, what's your feeling on remakes slash reimaginings of those films? Because we see them kind of more and more these days. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan. It. Mm-hmm. My feeling on remakes is if the movie had a really interesting concept, but wasn't but just didn't work then then right. remake it um but if the movie is so good then it's going to be really hard for me to watch a remake and not be comparing it to the original and I'll, I'll use an example actually where that's not the case i i think the haunting from 1963 is a fantastic movie mm-hmm I also loved Mike Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, which okay. is also an adaptation, but it's not a direct adaptation. It's much right. more an homage. He's doing a lot of new things. It's a different format. So I'm not, and and the same goes with 
the innocence from 1960 to his Bly Manor, which I did not love as much as Hill House, but it's still the same that he's doing enough different that he's taking the same source material and going elsewhere. And in those cases, the source, source material is books. But to use The Haunting again as an example, they did do a remake of that movie in 1998. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's one of the worst it's just bad it's it's atrocious and you are sitting there comparing it the entire time to these significantly better movies so that's what i'd say if it if it's a movie that's just not good you know mm-hmm. go ahead and remake it or do something do something entirely different with it but if you're not doing something entirely different and it was a great like the rebecca remake why we didn't need that mm-hmm. didn't do anything and it, it didn't add anything new it you know also there was no age gap between the characters and that's actually a central part to that story the horror does not exist without there being a huge age gap um so that was the case we did not need that at all where did your love of older horror come from because most horror fans i talk to are kind of the opposite i won't watch anything pre-1960 and i think it's a shame because there are so many amazing classics so where does your love come from um, I think it's that I, I grew up watching old movies with uh, my grandparents. Uh, they they introduced me to film noir really early on in the black and white movies. And one of my grandfathers loves Dracula, the original. Uh, so it was a lot of watching those movies with them. And then I was a film student in college, and but not I didn't go to film school. I was a film history major. So it was all about the history of film. Um, and I am just, I'm so fascinated by earlier film history. I love, I love silent movies. I have a poster for the original Phantom of the Opera in my doorway. Um, I love talking about the Hayes Code and the pre-code era. So I, I think it's just something that that I grew up watching so many of these older movies that it became such a part of my identity. Yeah, and... On the Don't Be Crazy podcast, one of the things that you got harped on a little bit on is that you don't like found footage films. I don't. So have you watched one since? And if you haven't, is there one that you have your eyes set on to say, okay, maybe I'm going to give this found footage thing one more try? I have not watched one since, but Zach did text me and he said that there might be one that I like. I think he said it was called Lake Mungo. He said it's actually visually pretty. And I know I said I I like a movie to be a visual feast for the eyes. That is a thing about the black and white movies. They are beautiful to mm-hmm. look at. I I like looking at them. I I like the visuals and that's my thing with found footage is that I get it from a practicality standpoint, but I also want to see what's going on and I I don't want to have vertigo. Absolutely. Oh, watch Vertigo. Love that movie. <laughs> right. And what I would recommend is As Above, So Below. Uh, okay. It takes place in the catacombs in France, and it's oh. really interesting uh, take on found footage. So that's okay. one that I would personally recommend to get you kind of on the found footage train. Not, not that it's like one of my favorite subgenre of horror, but I, I think yeah. there's a lot of good stuff that you might be missing out on if uh, <laughs> you watch the wrong ones first, like VHS 85. <laughs> yeah, I don't think VHS 85 was really the right one no. <laughs> to make someone a fan of found footage. It was just a lot of, I don't care. Right. I really don't. Um, is horror something that you see yourself making, a, like either writing or acting in uh, in the future? 
Absolutely. Actually, the the script that I have right now that I, I um early development, you know, the script is written. I I do have a director attached. Um, it's actually the guy who is the cinematographer on Perfectly Good Moment. He is a a big horror guy. Um, and he has this wonderful horror short called John the Carpenter, which is really, really good creature design. Uh, so I I have a script called Beast with Two Backs. Um about <laughs> <laughs> the, yes, the Shakespeare reference is intentional um, about a woman who falls for the murderous monster under her bed. Mm. And that is actually a, it, it, it is a full on straight horror movie. Uh, it's very gory. It's, it's a little, it's, I wouldn't say it's quite Hellraiser gross. Okay. Um, it's, it's bordering on. It's definitely Hellraiser kinky, <laughs> the original. Right. Um, not quite as gross, though, because there are definitely moments. And I actually really enjoy the original Hellraiser. I know people are really divided on that one. I thoroughly enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a fuck ton of fun. Does it make sense? No, I don't care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care. I just, I think it's kinky, weird, and fun. Um. So, yeah, that that is hopefully the next thing that I do and that is that is a horror horror and then I'm working on a like a ghosty kind of gothic more of a genre mishmash but with elements of horror but yeah the the next one I want to do really is a straight horror movie excellent and I hope I can have you on again once you do make <laughs> any of those movies because that sounds awesome I just hope that the creature will be practical uh, not oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. it's I, I've completely thought through the, the creature design and I'm basing it on actual um, depictions of certain biblical demons. Um, but we, we've pulled uh, references from other projects so that it's definitely, and it's the kind of thing where whoever plays the, the beast is what I call him. Cause I'm pulling a lot from the, like the beauty and the beast story, but also Bluebeard. I really love okay. Bluebeard right. tales. That's the don't trust your husband. It's the Bluebeard <laughs> thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we've pulled a lot of references for what he should look like. And whoever plays him would also be double cast as a normal human. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to need an actor who has that kind of like a young Doug Jones type, you know, he can nice. move and and dance and do stunts and also act excellent yeah so i'm really looking forward to seeing what you do next can you tell our listeners where they can follow you on social media and also follow the film on social media so they'll know when there's a release date and they are able to watch it yeah i am on instagram and twitter at amanda jane stern it's just my full name it's the same handle i also i i'm very easy to find uh and then the movie is on Instagram at Perfectly Good Moment. And it's on Twitter at PGM Movie because there was a character count issue. So those are, and then right. obviously there's a Facebook page for both me and for the movie, but I interact with people much more on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you very much, Amanda, for coming on the show. Everyone, please follow Amanda on social media and keep an eye out for Perfectly Good Moment for when it releases, because it's definitely worth a watch. Amanda, thank you very much. Thank you so much.
I live in the American Gardens building on West 81st Street, on the 11th floor. My name is Patrick Bateman. I'm 27 years old. I believe in taking care of myself, in a balanced diet, and a rigorous exercise routine. In the morning, if my face is a little puffy, I'll put on an ice pack while doing my stomach crunches. I can do a thousand now. Sabrina, don't just stare at it, eat it. <laughs>